That's a good song, isn't it? We lift His name on high. God of all, great is Thy faithfulness. Lord God Almighty, we've hit some good themes in our worship this morning. And let's continue to worship now as we open God's Word and really ask Him to teach us today and to help us understand what He would have for us. You know, last week we began to develop this uh, biblical theme of God and, and money, a biblical view of finances. And we began in the words of Hebrews 13, which says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never, never, never will I leave you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? A God-centered, God-trusting, God-loving view of life that has an impact on how I view everything, including my money. And not loving money is hard for us, isn't it? And God's people said... (laughs) You're all sitting there going, not me. Liar. Not loving money is hard for us because we want what money provides. We want value. We want power. We want security. And money begs us to believe that it can provide those things for us. And our desires are so connected with our treasure that Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Which is why, of course, that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about faith, more than he talked about prayer. Uh, more than heaven and hell combined because money so uniquely is a window to our soul and God's not looking for our money. He wants our hearts. And until money is dethroned from our hearts, God can't rule. Heard a story about Sam Houston, uh, who the Texas, I don't know all the story, but I saw the movie Alamo. So anyway, that guy and they, uh, he actually became a Christian and, and uh, got baptized and everything, and he gave a large uh, gift to some organization or church or something, and they said, well, Sam Houston, why are you doing that? He says, when I got baptized, my wallet got baptized too. That's what he said. Indeed. That's what happens when we come to faith in Christ, is to make him Savior and Lord is not just a, over my future, but it is over all of my life, every aspect of who I am now under his lordship, wanting to submit to his leadership. Well, today we turn to a very familiar parable, which we've already read. In Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents, or the parable of the money. We could just call it that. A talent was a currency of the day, and so uh, it just was money. We can call it the parable of the money. And it sits here in Matthew 25 between uh, the parable of the ten virgins on one side, and the parable of the sheep and the goats on the other. And all three of these are dealing in the context of Matthew 24 and 25 with what the kingdom of God is like or what it will be like when Jesus returns, when the Master returns. Now, it's a long passage. I'm not going to reread it. I just, though, want to uh, give an overview. Let's make sure that we're on board with what happens in the story. There was this man, apparently a businessman, who was going to leave on a trip, and he was going to be gone a long time. And so he uh, wanted his resources to be working for him while he was gone, and so he 
called three servants in and entrusted to them his property while he was gone. So to the one, it says he gave five talents, to the one, two, and to the one, one. And notice this is not arbitrary. It says that he did it according to their ability. As an employer, he knew the capabilities of his employees, of his servants, and so he gave them resources commensurate with their ability to handle it. I said before, a talent is, was the highest denomination of the day, uh, the biggest bill, if you want to say it that way. We're not exactly sure how much it was worth. You might recall that Jesus told the story of the guy that had, was, had uh, owed the guy 10,000 talents, was just this like trillion dollar debt incredible amount. We're not really sure how much it was. It's not unreasonable to view a talent as maybe around $10,000 today. So to the one he gives 50000 to the one he gives 20000 and to the one he gives 10000 Entrust that property, that value to them, and he leaves. Now the character of the servants is very quickly discovered. We find that the one who was given $50,000, the text says, immediately Put that to work. Right away, he gets going with being faithful with his master's money. And somehow, we're not told exactly how, Microsoft stock uh, opened a Panera Bread. Who knows exactly what it was. But somehow, he turned the $50,000 into $100,000. 100% return. The guy that had the $20,000, he right away gets to work as well. And we don't know exactly how he did it, but somehow he turned the $20,000 into, into $40,000. And we could speculate on, you know, on, on what he did. He opened a Papa Murphy's or he, uh, uh, you know, a Starbucks or something like that. And, then, and it was highly successful. 100% return. Not bad. In fact, anybody here would like to hire one of these guys, maybe, to work for them? I think so, probably. We wouldn't mind that at all. But the guy that has... The $10,000, what does he do with it? The text says that he went and he dug a hole and he put it in the hole. Okay, this is the old under-the-mattress approach to money. So, if you had never heard this parable before, and you get to this point right here, you probably could guess what is about to happen. We would say to you, what do you think is going to happen? you say, oh, I bet that master is going to return. I'll bet the big boss is coming back. Indeed, That's exactly what happens. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master returned, and he wanted to immediately settle accounts. Now, have you ever had a moment like this? I'm sure that you have. All of us have. Where it's sort of that judgment day, you know, where something that you were responsible for now is going to be scrutinized. Maybe it's a big exam. I I think of of, uh, when I was a kid, and we probably all had this. My, my mom would go to the store or she would go off for the day or something. And what do moms do to their children when they're going to be gone? Chores to do. That's right. List of things. While I'm gone, this is what I want to see done. I want to see the bedroom cleaned. I want to see the clothes that are in the washer put in the dryer. I want to I see uh, the, the dishes put away in the kitchen. Have it done when I get back. And so off she goes. And mom, how long are you going to be gone? Oh, I'll be back around two. Now, what do we all immediately think if mom's going to be back at 2 o'clock? Lots of time. 
to get to that, isn't there? Lots of time to get there. So we off playing, having a nice time, doing something in the house. About one o'clock or so, garage door starts going up. Do you know that sinking feeling I'm talking about? When you realize that mama's home and you don't have none of the stuff done that she said that you're supposed to have done. Do you know what I'm talking about? That sense of, uh-oh. And what do you do? You rush around and try to get it done and then she comes in and, and judgment day is what happens if the thing's not done, okay? The big boss shows up and wants to know what has been, what has taken place while I was gone. What have you done with the property that I entrusted to you? So the first servant comes in, the one that he had given $50,000 to, and lo and behold, he has doubled it. Notice the response of the master, He says in verse 23, well done. Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. So this first guy is commended, and obviously so. That's a tremendous uh, return on investment. The one with 20,000 doubles it. Same response from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know what? There's a lesson in there, isn't it? You know, we're not all entrusted with the same amount of gifts, talents, money, whatever it is. But God doesn't judge us based on, on, on a curve. It, he, he judges us based upon what we do with what he's given us. The 20,000 gets the same response that the 50,000 does. And you may be here saying, I'm only a $2 person. God's only given me this much. I just don't know if I can do anything with it. The same opportunity is true for all of us. It doesn't matter how much God has given. It's what we do with what God has given to us. So the last one comes forward, and this is what he says. He says, you know, Master, I knew that you were a shrewd man. The word there means shrewd or hard or maybe even harsh. He says, I knew that you were that kind of guy. You even make money on fields that you don't plant. That's how good that you are. So I decided this is what I was going to do. I'd take your money. I'd go. I'd dig a hole. I'd put it in there. And here I am now. Here is your talent. Here is your $10,000. It's all exactly the way that you gave it to me. I'm so happy that I can now return it to you. There you go. That's what he says. Now notice the response of the master. Verse 26. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. At least then I would have returned, had some interest. Return. Verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, could there be a harder word that the master could give weeping and gnashing of teeth in fact that's a language in the in the gospels is reserved to for uh for hell actually that's what it's, that's weeping and gnashing of teeth that's a place that's that's described so there could be no stronger language and this kind of sounds to us like maybe the master's going over the top with his with his condemnation here i mean come on at least you got it back right what's the problem here well the third servant friends represents People that just play it safe. They never risk anything for the kingdom of God. Security, not service, is their highest priority. Do nothing, sacrifice nothing, attempt nothing religion is the third servant. 
And the question that we need to ask ourselves as we look into this, because Jesus has a word for us here today in this, in this parable, is which servant do I most closely resemble? The 50,000 who makes 100? The 20 who makes 40? Or the 10 who makes nothing? Where do you see yourself in this story with what God has given to you? That's the question. Now, I'd like to, we're going to spend our time now just drawing some principles out of this parable, okay, which will help us to apply it and understand what Jesus is trying to tell us here. So here's some principles. We're going to start marching through these. Number one, what we find in this story is always true. It's all the master's money. It is all the master's money. It is not mine. It is God's. What the servants didn't do is they didn't take the money and spend it on themselves. Even servant number three didn't do that. They recognized that this wasn't their money. It was their master's money. Were they responsible for it? Could they use it any way that they wanted to? Yes. But it was still the master's money. And I would have to say this. The number one struggle in my mind when it comes to what God has given to me, and I would imagine I've got some friends here today who could share this same struggle. The number one struggle that I have with my money is that I think that it is my money. Don't we? Really? I think that my money is my money. That my stuff is really my stuff. And the problem with that is that it is an illusion. We don't own anything. We are all impoverished, actually, when it comes to material possessions. What do we get to keep, really? And the answer is nothing. We don't get to keep anything. Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon says this, the richest man who ever lived, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hands. Someday, what is true right now will be revealed because when we die, we don't take anything that we have with us at all. I told you the story before. I just kind of like it. I was up in, in South Bend, and I was, I was getting a tour of, there's a mansion there that this old mansion 100 years ago, one of these tycoons built it, and you can get tours of it. It's, it's really nice and elaborate and all that. And I was on a tour there, and we're walking around, and this somewhat annoying tour guide was uh, obviously very impressed with the wealth of this family. And it was going on and on and on about the, the, this and the, this and the house, and this cost a tremendous amount of money, and the silver in the house, and on and on and on. And uh, finally, I was a little fed up with it, and I was just kind of going to yank his chain a little bit. So I said, um, how much did he leave when he died? And kind of wide-eyed, he says, oh, millions. And I said, don't you mean he left everything and i can tell by the look in his face he's like jerk you know (laughs) but it's true he left that rich guy in south bend a hundred years ago left everything and so will we we don't own anything and the sooner that we realize it the sooner we're going to be able to be the kind of servants that the master is pleased with 
Not assuming this is mine, but using it as God would have us to use it. It's his stuff. It is his money. The Bible teaches this all over. Here's some examples. Deuteronomy 10, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. 1 Chronicles 29, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Job 41, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. That's God saying that. Psalm 24, famously, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. We could say it this way, the money in my billfold, the money, this is God now speaking, the money in your billfold is mine, your house is mine, your retirement account is mine, your savings account is mine, everything that you have is mine. As Abraham Kuyper said, There isn't one square inch of this world that God doesn't look at it and say, mine. He owns it all. And we live in this delusion, don't we? That somehow, actually, it's mine. It's mine. And for some reason, I think of Gollum there, you know, my precious. You know, that we're like that, aren't we? With our things, we, we believe that it's ours. Servants 1 and 2 took that seriously. The responsibility to handle the master's money seriously. It wasn't theirs to keep. And they received commendation from their master. And I think that this, maybe of all the things we're going to talk about this month, this might be the most important, freeing, wonderful thing. If we can really get a hold of this as a church is that it's not my stuff, it's not my money, that it really is God's. Property of God. Property of Jesus Christ. I heard of a church that they produce stickers. Maybe, we will, maybe we'll do this. I don't know. They produced stickers and gave stickers out. And, and property of Jesus Christ. And people put it on their check- checkbook. And people put it on their car and put it around as a reminder. You know what? This isn't mine. This is the Lord's. Not a bad idea. You ever notice the difference between spending your money and spending someone else's money? Ever notice how different that feels when you do that? For example, if you have a teenager and you're sitting a teenager on one of our youth trips or some kind of a trip, and you give that teenager $50 for spending money while they're going on the trip, how much are you getting back? <laughs> Nothing. In fact, they may give you a bill. <laughs> you owe me 25 more, mom and dad. I spent it. You're not getting anything. You send your son with a $20 bill to go pick up the pizza? He thinks he gets to keep the change. Have you noticed that? Right? When, it's, when it's somebody else's money, I feel very free to spend or to do whatever with somebody else's money. But take that same teenager who went on the trip with $50, and let's say that he's going now on the trip with $50 that he made mowing yards on hot July days in northwest Indiana. Money that he has earned. Money that he now has taken ownership of. Whole different story. Now he wants to hold on to it. He thinks about things before he purchases them. Why? Because this is my money. If it's your money, 
no problem. But if it's my money, now I get very stingy with it. And I want to hold on to it. By nature, that's the way that we are. And maybe that's why American evangelicals don't want to part with their money. Let me give you some statistics, okay? Here's some statistics. Grapple with these a moment. The average American evangelical gives 2.5% of their income. And that's giving of any kind, okay? 2.5%. During the Great Depression, American evangelicals gave 3.2% of their income away. In other words, in the worst economic times in our nation's history, people gave more than they do in the greatest economic times in our country's history. Why is that? How do you explain that? And it's really not that hard, is it? The more that we have, the more we love what we have. The more we have, the more we love what we have. If it's mine, then I certainly don't want to part with it. Here's another staggering statistic, I think. Grapple with this. 40%, 40% of American evangelicals give absolutely nothing at all. 40%. They don't want to part with anything. Stories told of... Uh, John Wesley, who was visiting a, a wealthy plantation owner, and the plantation owner took him on a, on a horse ride to show him his estate. And they rode all day, and he showed him this, and he showed him that. And uh, they got done with the, uh, with the day, and the plantation owner said, Well, Mr. Wesley, tell me, what do you think? And after a moment's silence, Wesley said, I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all this. Jesus had a rich young man that came up to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, you must obey the commands. And the young man says, I really have done that all of my life. Jesus says, okay, sell, here's one, one thing that you need to do. Sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. You'll have reward in heaven. And the text says that his face fell because he was very rich. He walked away. And Jesus turns to the disciples and in their culture, if you had money, it meant God had blessed you. Imagine that. Okay? Can you imagine that crazy kind of thinking? But in, the, in that culture, that's what people thought. And he turns to them and says, oh, it is so hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Easier, in fact, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the, and the disciples are all like, what are you talking about? Those are the ones that are going to heaven. Look at the money they have. Jesus says no. And why is that? Because, friends, when we have a lot, we want to trust what we have. We want to believe that what we have is really our security. Nothing could be hard farther from the truth. The more we have, the less we tend to give because the more we love what we have. Until the day we die, and then what becomes clear? That we never had anything. That we never had anything. And I wonder this morning, will you hold it against me today to talk about what you think that you have and to tell you that you don't have it? 
Will you be mad at me if I, if I urge you to, while you're still alive and there's time to be a steward of the things that you don't really have anyway, that you use them in a way that would please the master? Will you be mad at me for saying that? Will you be upset with me one minute after you die and you realize that you never had any of that stuff in the first place and the dawning reality that it is naked that we step into eternity? You won't be upset with me then, will you? Let's say it together. No, Pastor Steve. Please tell us more. All right. More on that next week. But it's the master's money, not mine. So if God owns everything, including everything that I have, what is my role in this? And this is the next principle here for us today, is that the servants are responsible for the master's money. The servants are responsible. This is what is known as stewardship. Stewardship, verse 14, summarizes it well, that the master entrusted to them his property. Okay, the servants weren't the owners of the money. If somebody came up to them and said, hey, where did you get the $50,000? I I didn't know you had $50,000. They said, I don't have $50,000. It's not my money, it's his. He just gave it to me temporarily. In fact, that's the definition of stewardship. I have it here for you. What is a steward? One who is given temporary responsibility for someone else's resources to use the way the owner would want them to be used. And that is the key. It is not my stuff. It is his. As a steward, I'm not using it the way that necessarily I would want to do it. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, what would he want me to do with it since it's his stuff, not mine? Are you with me? What does he want me to do with it? Must be my primary concern. Now, You'll never read this. You'll never read something about this in in the Wall Street Journal. You'll never see it on CNBC. The only place that you're going to hear about this is from God's Word and amongst God's people. This is not the way of the world. If, if, uh, in fact, if you're here today and you come and you say, this is nonsense, I might suggest that really the basis for this is the fact that we here at Bethel believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he was resurrected on the third day. And by faith, we get salvation through him, that God has been generous to us and that now he is the Lord of our lives. And we don't just say that. We live that out in our time and in our resources, that he is Lord. That's the basis of this. Without that, this, all makes, this is all nonsense. But with that, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Perfect sense. A steward wants to please his master. A steward doesn't care what other people think. A steward doesn't care what the Joneses next door just bought. A steward doesn't care what the thing in the world that you got to have is. A steward wants to please the master. That's his goal. To use his money his way. And when it comes to money, friends, we've got to realize that we are merely the middlemen. We are merely the middlemen in, between God and whatever he wants to do with his kingdom. We're the conduit. We're the... We're the, we're the delivery boys. In fact, Randy Alcorn gives a very helpful illustration. He says, uh, and this is the illustration, that if you, know, if you have something that you want to send to somebody, you, wanna, you, want, you want something to get to somebody, uh, what do you do? Well, if it's a package or something, you might call UPS or you might call FedEx or, or we have some people that work at the post office in our church, so I should also say that the post office delivers as well. Just throw that in so everyone's happy. Did I cover everybody? I don't know. Roadway, I see one of those in here too as well. They deliver. But anyway, we're moving on. So 
you have you have this package, this gift that you want to give to somebody. So you call FedEx, and here comes now the FedEx guy to the door. And you say, this is my package, and this is the, who I want it to go to right here, okay? Take that. Uh, thank you very much. FedEx man says, all right, I'll see you later. Well, sometime later, you, come, you find out that the package never got there. And you trace it. You know, they got that little satellite kind of thing where it's at, and you realize it's at a certain address. And you look up the address, and lo and behold, it's the FedEx guy's address. And you're just, I can't believe it. And so you go marching over to his house. You open the door. And inside, let's say you sent uh, chocolates or bonbons or, you know, some other something to the... And you look in, and there, you look in the window. Don't do that. But if you did, you look in the window. And there he is. And he's playing with the thing or he's eating the thing that you meant to get to somebody else. <sighs> and so you knock on the door and he comes to the door. And you say, you were supposed to deliver that to that address. And he says, Really? When you gave it to me, I thought that you meant for me to enjoy it. I thought this was, this was for me. You're like, no, you're just the FedEx guy. That's all that you are. You're the delivery boy. You're not supposed to enjoy yourself. You're to get it to where I want it to go. And Bethel, we are just the FedEx guys. When it comes to the resources that God gives to us. We're the conduit. We're the in-between between him and the blessing that he wants that money and that resources to be. That's all. And through the parable of the talents and many other places in Scripture, this is what God is telling us. Quit acting like I gave it to you. I gave it to you temporarily as a steward, as a conduit to the grace that I want it to get to. So the real question then is, if I am temporarily in charge of this, what does God want me to do with it? What does he want me to do with it? That's our third principle here today. We are to use material wealth for spiritual purposes. Okay, the the first servant takes five, makes it ten. Second servant takes the two, makes it four. The last servant has one and does nothing. And the lesson in this is that God expects results. When the master returns, he says, tell me, what did you do with what I gave you? The master expects results. You know, the well done and good and faithful servant, I hear people say that a lot. Sort of sanctimoniously sometimes. Well, I just want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Really, what are you doing with your money? That's the context here. It's money. A talent is money. What are you doing with your money? If you want to hear that, recognize that these resources are not just things I get to play with. They're not monopoly money along the way. They are things that God is watching and God will evaluate how we do with it. Now, what is the basis of evaluation? I would suggest a few things. How are we going to be evaluated? Number one, how much did we keep? That's the lesson of the widow and her two mites. How much did we keep? God was not impressed with the widow and the gift that she, or Jesus wasn't impressed with the widow and the gift she gave because she was a widow and the rich men weren't. It was because the rich men gave out of their abundance. They gave a lot, but they had a lot left. The widow gave everything she had. And Jesus says, whoa, look at that. That gets his attention. 
And you know what? As we use God's resources, it is entirely legitimate to have houses and to buy clothing and to buy food and to save and to invest. All of that. We'll talk more about that next week. It's just that as we do, we must realize that God isn't evaluating the amount we give, but he is evaluating the amount we still keep. Bill Gates can give a billion dollars and be in the front page of Time Magazine to some philanthropic event. But you know what? That's not really that impressive, is it? Why? He still has $49 billion. Poor guy, you know. That's not impressive. But your average middle-class family that gives faithfully to the kingdom purposes and sacrifices to live on the rest, that gets his attention. That is being a faithful servant. And that is as true for the teenager here as it is for the retiree. It doesn't matter where we are in our, in our life cycle that God expects faithfulness. That's what he's looking for. Another basis for evaluation. Did you use your wealth to increase your standard of living or your standard of giving? Did you use your increase in wealth to increase your standard of living or your standard of giving? 2 Corinthians 9.11 You will be made rich. Why does God make us rich? You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through, your, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You can make that our theme verse for the month. You're made rich to be rich and to be generous in giving. That's why. Now, before you think that this doesn't apply to you, before you think that maybe, well, these are the rich people. This isn't, uh, this isn't, this isn't me. Let me uh, just make something very clear. Every person in this room is rich. Every person here is fabulously wealthy. And you're saying, I don't, I don't think so. Does he know something I don't know? The reason that you maybe don't feel that way is because you're comparing yourself to all the other rich people around you. You, my friend, are rich. We are the richest Christians who have ever lived. Some more statistics. We are all amongst the top 10% of people who have ever lived in terms of our wealth, American, Americans. 80%, think of this, 80% of all the wealth that Christians in the world possess is held by American Christians. 80%. We are the richest Christians ever. Right here in this room. The richest Christians in the history of the church. And again, you say, I didn't, no, I don't feel that way. It's because we're comparing ourselves to all the other rich people that we have around us. Now, I'm going to give you a very helpful resource. There's a website called globalrichlist.com. We're actually going to try to get on that right now. Here we have globalrichlist.com. Dot com. And uh, what it lets you do is you type in your annual income, and then it tells you where you are on the spectrum of people in the world, okay, in terms of wealth. So I looked up online, and the average, the average income in Lake County is $42,000. So we just put in, here's the average number, $42,000, and then you click on show me the money. <laughs> okay? So here we go. If you make... 
if you make $42,000 a year, you are in the top 2.59% richest people in the world. There are 5,844,347,826 people poorer than you in the world. And there's the scale. You see the little red thing on the right side? That's where you are. Way Richest people in the world, you're way over to the right. Now, let's do another one. The average household income in Lake County, 51000 So let's type in, can we do that? Whoops. Okay, there we go. U.S., 51000 Show me the money. Okay. If you have in your household income $51,000, you are in the top 0.9% of rich people in the entire world. And I won't even try to read that number, how many people are poorer than you, but it's almost 6 billion people poorer in the world than you. Are we rich? Are we unbelievably rich here this morning? We are. Why does God make us rich? To increase our standard of living? No. 2 Corinthians says, I make you rich so that you can be generous on every occasion. Next principle. Next basis of evaluation by the master. With your money, whose kingdom did you advance? Yours or mine? Whose kingdom did you advance, yours or mine? My life verse since I was a kid has been Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. As a Christian, who or what is to be our top priority when it comes to the way that I think about the possessions and the money that I have? And the answer is God. That in every budget here, God is to be the number one priority. This is the biblical principle of first fruits. We give God our first fruits. He's at the beginning of the budget, not at the end. He's not the tip at the end. He is priority number one. And I think that we need to think strategically about this, to pray over. Do you pray over the money, some of you are getting tax returns soon. Do you pray over that? Like, God, what, what would you have me to do with this? I want to do with it what you would have me to do. I'm just a steward. I'm just the FedEx man. It's all yours. What do you want me to do with it? You think that way? It's pretty challenging, isn't it? Because in the day-to-day of life, we just sort of get used to using our money and thinking it's ours and I can do what I want with it. And not to stop and say, you know what? I will give an account. I will give an account to the Lord someday. And one of the principles we're going to study, I think, next week is just a wonderful one. We don't get to keep anything, but by giving to God, we send it ahead. I love that. We send it ahead into eternal treasure. That's what Jesus says. Where moth and rust do not decay and where thieves do not break in and steal, we send it ahead there where we will indeed enjoy the reward of that, not by keeping it, but by giving it. How are we doing with that? How are you doing with that? Are you being a wise steward of what God has given to you? Well, we, uh, we're going to do something a little unusual this morning just to help us uh, kind of drive this point home.
In a moment, I'm going to ask one adult representative from every family that's, that's uh, here today. So if you're a single, that's you. If you're a family, one of you. We're going to ask you to stand. And uh, this morning, we're going to do something that I guarantee you have never done in church before. Never. We're going to give every family in our church this morning a fresh, crisp $10 bill. We're giving it to you. And we want you to pray over that $10. It's God's money. To think about, okay, God, I've got $10. How can I use this $10 for kingdom purposes? And that could be any number of ways. You may say, you know what? There's the widow next door. I know she's lonely. I'm going to make her a cake. I'm going to take it over to her. Or you may work downtown Chicago and you got that $10 burning a hole in your pocket and you see a guy that you can tell he could use a warm, a a hot soup. Take him out for the hot soup. You maybe can take the 10 and make it 20 and give it back to God. Whatever you want to do with it, it's up to you. But we're going to give out about $7,000 here this morning to our church people and release you to take that money and to be a blessing in our community. Now, there is, there is something that we'd like to ask, though, is that we would like to know what you do with it, okay? We'd like to know what you do with it. And the way you can do this, we've created a website, I'm oh, sorry, a website, an uh, email address. Next slide. Okay, that's a Bible address. Here it is. 10 at Bethelweb.org. That's easy to remember. Bethelweb.org is the church website. 10 at Bethelweb.org. And if you don't have email, you can just send us a note in the, in the, in the mail. We're going to begin posting these anonymously on our website. You'll be able to start going to that and seeing what other people are doing with $10 of God's money. So right now, a reverse offering. Only for this Sunday, taking money out of the offering plate. We have pastors and elders that are going to distribute this. So right now, one adult from every family, would you please stand? Okay. The offering plate will be passed. Please only take one.
Well, wasn't that fun? I feel like Oprah. Now, no secret as to uh, why we're doing this. The goal here is that you're going to feel a responsibility for that $10 of God's money, aren't you? The church has given you that. You, go out, you just go out and have lunch on it, that's on your head, okay? Not mine. <laughs> but the goal here is that we would begin looking at every dollar we have the same way that we're now going to look at these $10 that God has given to us and be a steward of all of it the way that we want to be with the ten. That's the goal. So may God bless us in this. And may this truth uh, that we are stewards of his stuff kind of be, in a very practical way, driven into our hearts. Amen? That'd be great. Okay. Let's stand together. Why don't you take a moment right now? I'm going to give you a moment. Lord, what would you have? Let's do it. Just, we're going to walk through it. <clears throat> you have given me $10. What would you like me? What would you have me to do with it? Just pray over that right now. How can I please you with it? How can I invest it wisely? Father, it's an awesome truth. You have been so generous to us. The generosity of our God. You have given of Yourself. You have given Your Son. You sacrificed Him to pay for our redemption. We thank You, Lord, today. And Father, I pray that as a congregation that we would be found to be faithful, that we might hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that we would not be found to be the do-nothing, risk-nothing servants, but that we might multiply what you give us for kingdom purposes. So Father, do your work. Holy Spirit, I pray, take this time together, transform our hearts. We want that today. We need your help. And to that end, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.